Fans of our on-demand show, we now have a brand new daily podcast. We're calling it Armstrong and Getty, One More Thing. Yeah, it's where we just talk about something else that didn't fit into the show. And sometimes we use naughty language. Yes! Not often, though, because it's naughty. Finally! Find it right now via the iHeart app. Just search for Armstrong and Getty, One More Thing. My chance to work blue. Smart people to discuss things with. That's what we try to do. For right. obvious reasons. Yeah, for obvious reasons. A couple of mouth eaters, breathers. What? Paste eaters, mouth mouth eaters. Nice. How do you eat? Yeah, boy. That went poorly. So, <laughs> let's uh, welcome back to the Armstrong and Getty Show, Lonnie Chen, David and Diane Steffi, Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution. He also is the Director of Domestic Policy Studies and a lecturer in the Public Policy Program at Stanford University, a little uh, community college there in Palo Alto, California. <laughs> Hello, Lonnie. How are you, sir? Hey, guys. Good morning. How are you? Uh, great. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for being here. So I oh, keep I keep thinking that the whole standoff wall, government shutdown thing is going to break one way or the other over a story. Like somebody's going to come across the border and do something, or somebody will get a bomb on a plane because the TSA wasn't there, or something will happen that will make the polls break one way or the other. Other than that, I don't I don't know how we're getting out of this. What are your thoughts? No, I, I think that's right. There's got to be some animating event because what's very clear is that both sides are, are dug in. And, and the other part of this is I think both sides feel the politics of this are playing well for their respective sides, which, you know, we, we know can't be true. You know, obviously both sides can't benefit from it in the long run. But certainly in the short run, that seems to be the case. And, and the latest deal that the president has announced or the, the proposal he's announced you know, seems reasonable enough, but it doesn't seem as though there's a whole lot of interest uh, on on either side, frankly, in in voting for this thing. So we we continue to be stuck, and there's no end in sight. As a public policy lecturer, what would you say to your bright young charges there about what this shows about the function and the dysfunction of democracy? Well, there's there's very little functioning, if if any, right now, and I think. Look, we've gotten here over many, many years. You can you can say that there's a whole number of different reasons why we're here. Uh, certainly not the fault of any single person or any single party. It's a function of uh, a lot of things we've done. You know, so one example is we've created these districts, congressional districts, legislative districts, that are remarkably homogenous politically and otherwise. So you end up with a lot of people who think alike living next to each other, voting together. And as a result, those districts over time become more and more extreme. So what you see are more and more extreme people being elected to Congress and to state legislative offices. And and that's just one example, a microcosm of a broader problem we have, which is that the the middle, the notion of compromise has gone away. And and, that's what we end up with. We end up with, with the extremes dominating debate. So we read a little from the Washington Post editorial board who basically said, look, Trump threw something out there. Democrats, you got to come back with something. You're not going to get everything. That's what compromise is. Um, when, when the Washington Post is saying that, isn't it starting to break against the Democrats? Yeah, I think so. And and I think that the challenge they're going to have is that they, they, 
and this is a challenge. Look, Republicans had this challenge for many years when Obama was president. It's very difficult to sit there and say no to every single proposal without having some kind of counterproposal. And I think the question is, okay, if you're unwilling to accept, let's say it's the $5.6 billion for wall construction that the Democrats oppose, you know, would they support $2 billion? Would they support a billion and a half? Is it really the case that they're not going to support any money at all? And so I think that the next bid here is going to be what is the what does the response look like? Or will there be a response at all? Or will it just continue to be, look, we don't we don't want to spend any money at all on the wall, and if that's the case, then this shutdown is going to go down indefinitely. You know, someday I'd like to sit around and enjoy an adult beverage or two uh, with you, Lonnie, if you swing that way, and, and talk about how the more uh, gentlemanly and ladylike comedy of the past, the classy Washington, D.C., not this ugly, ugly you know, partisan D.C., but the classy D.C. got us $21 trillion worth of debt. And, and <laughs> ongoing illegal immigration problems. Right, exactly. And not solving the most important issues in our country and whether it's time to bust a couple of lips. And I don't mean literally. Yeah, I yeah. abhor violence. We, we do talk about this a lot because it, it's, it's popular to discuss how awful things are today and there's no compromise and they don't go out for drinks together and all this different sort of stuff, but... You know, that previous crowd did get us way in debt and also didn't deal with illegal immigration. So I don't know. Yeah, well, and, and, and you're absolutely right in the sense that essentially sometimes to, you know, go, go along to get along means that you end up with, with easy decisions and not hard ones. And it's always easier to spend more money. It's always easier to make decisions that politically are not going to be controversial. And so I think you're right in the sense that over time there has been a tendency to accommodate but, but I do think that, that where we are now, th- this is really not where anybody should be happy. We should not be happy with a situation where you have both sides really out there calling each other names. And, and the level of dialogue, look, we can, we can agree or disagree with what people do, but at least let's have a dialogue. We're not even having a dialogue now. We have a bunch of name calling and a bunch of stunts like, I'm going to cancel your trip to Afghanistan. No, I'm going to cancel your ability to give a speech. I mean, th- 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 this stuff is just, I mean... You know, my eight-year-old can play better than this. I yeah, think Nancy just... should turn off the heat in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> and then Trump doesn't allow any food into the uh, <laughs> great the Capitol it's, building. It's really it's tough to see, but it's very amusing. Lonnie Chen is the director of domestic policy studies at Stanford, among other things. Hey, uh, Lonnie, let's move on to the momentary, at least, front-runner for the Democratic presidential nomination in 2020. That would be one Kamala Harris. Uh, well-known in California, California, not so much across the country. Strengths and weaknesses, as you see them. Well, her, her strengths are that she appeals to the Democrats' desire, in, in many cases, to play identity politics. I mean, she checks a lot of boxes that I think people like. She's young, she's female, she's biracial, she's got, uh, you know, sort of, all of the demographic elements that I think a, a lot of Democrats and a lot of progressives like. And look, I think her rhetoric, at least recently, has been very progressive, which for the Democratic Party uh, primary base is going to be very appealing. Now, her, her challenges are going to be a fewfold. One is, you know, she was a prosecutor at one point, and in, for a lot of Democratic Party primary voters, that's going to be a big no-no. Somebody who actually was a prosecutor has a record of presumably prosecuting at some point. <laughs> I would hope. Uh, and... and and, 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 and that's going to be a problem. And more broadly, the question will be, uh, where's the substance? What's the substance? What is she going to be for? And how is she going to distinguish herself substantively from Elizabeth Warren, from 
uh, from others who are running. And so, you know, th- this is the problem with identifying a front runner in a field of, you know, 64 sure. candidates. Well, and a colleague uh, whose opinion I respect also suggested that she's about as likable and authentic as Hillary. That- <laughs> well, I think, yeah, well, the authenticity problem is going to be going to be huge, because if you listen to her public utterances, we don't ever get a very good sense for who she is. And say what you will about Donald Trump. I think we all have a pretty good sense of who he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in, indeed. Or so, Ocasio-Cortez, well, you know what she is. Right. I mean, I don't right. doubt her on authenticity. Right. Um, uh, so you've been involved in high levels in a couple of big campaigns, Marco Rubio, Mitt Romney. So when I saw the piece come out in the New York Times over the weekend, an opinion piece about Kamala Harris's record as a as a prosecutor, is is that somebody getting that into the paper? Was that Elizabeth Warren's people got that in there, or Bernie's people, or Biden's people? Is that how it works? Well, no, no question. I, I mean, it's the, the the dark arts of opposition research. One of the sort of most interesting parts of campaigns. And, and look, there's a couple of different dynamics here. One is it certainly could have been an opponent, and because she's got, as we've said, 64 different opponents, it could have been any one of them. But here's another theory. It could have been her own team. Ah. It could have been her own team trying to get it out there and just, wow. you know, because, look, what are we, January of 2019, get right. it out there early, allow yourself to be inoculated against it. It's like a flu shot. Right. Early and that's cool, hum. It's I've heard this story 20 season. times, right? That's why, you, right. That's why exactly. you're you and I'm me. I right. didn't even think of that. That's a good one right there. So sometimes I'm you'd not, be lucky to shine Lonnie's shoes. I'm not <laughs> I'm not asking you to divulge, you know, anything with Romney or Rubio for instance, but but, but that happens. You want to get one of your big negatives out there super early. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah, well, it, it just shows how de- how depraved the, uh, the the campaign mind is, you know, how, how 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 low how low people will go. But yeah, absolutely. Look, sometimes you know things are going to be vulnerabilities, and you're much better off defending on your own terms than defending on someone else's terms. So, you know, it, it, we, we just don't know, and we may never know. But but I would not exclude that as a possibility. Well, here's a thankless and idiotic request. Would you like to make a prediction as to uh, how long the shutdown goes on? Uh, I would say that we are going to be shut down for at least another three to four weeks. Oh, wow. Another month. I just, I just, I just think it's, you know, there is very little hopefulness. I'm I'm headed to Washington in a few days, not, not for anything related to shutdown, but everyone I talked to about this and, and in between the last trip I took there, which was two weeks ago and this trip, there has been absolutely no development. And if anything else, both sides get even more dug in. So I think it's going to go on for a while. Well, while you're in town, if you find that legendary swamp drain, do us a favor and pull it, okay? <laughs> pull it out. Lonnie Chen. There's many, Diane. many plugs. Oh, yeah. Diane and uh, David and Diane Steffi, research fellow at the Uber Institution, also director of domestic policy studies, lecturer in public policy at Stanford. Great to talk to you, Lonnie. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Hey, Lonnie Chen might be my favorite pundit. Oh, he's so good. Tweet at him that you heard him on the show and liked it or something. I just give him some love, right? Yeah. Because he's, he's good. Let him know he's being heard. Yeah. I just, you know, listen, I have my beliefs and leanings and opinions and, and the things I would like to see happening in politics, okay? And policies and stuff like that. Some of them I'm pretty hardcore on. Some people might even call me, Joe Getty, an extremist on certain issues. But I like to know what's real. I like to know what's true. I don't want my opinion thrown back at me all day long. It doesn't do me any good. Right. I understand how how people like it. And and sometimes when I hear somebody who agrees with me, it makes me feel really good inside, and I like it. But, you know, if you're new to the Armstrong and Getty show, 
we just kind of we like to we like to talk to smart people who help us understand. All right, what are the the machinations behind the scene? Uh, really, what really matters? What's going to drive the day? So, like, here's a story just came across, and it's not some jackass on a cable news roundtable who says something outrageous. Maybe we'll talk about this later or not. Probably not a big deal. But this story just came out in the New York Times. Joe Biden earned two hundred thousand dollars for a speech last year in which he praised a Michigan Republican. Now, is that just New York Times journalism, or did Elizabeth Warren's people or Kamala Harris's people or something? Or Joe Biden. Or or Joe Biden. Tip them off to that. Yeah. I tell you what, if I was going to, if it was uh, Joe versus Jack for the presidency, I would not waste any good stuff on you right now. I'd sit on it for a long time. And if I'm Kamala Harris, I want that district attorney stuff out there um, early. Let's job out it now. That's old news. Right. Are we going back to that tired old conversation? <laughs> she says palms upturned in, in 2020. <laughs> you are listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the, of the nation. nation. Armstrong and Getty Show. Baby, Trump, do, 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 baby, Trump, do, 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 baby, Trump, do, 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 baby, Trump. Mommy. Trump, do, 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 mommy. Trump, do, 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 Someone with Daddy. apparently infinite Trump, free time. Daddy. Trump, do, 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 Daddy. Trump, finding. Oh, do, 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 I get it. It's the shark. The baby shark. The baby shark. Trump, do, 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 But it's Grandma. Trump, do, 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 I didn't catch on the bat. Trump, do, 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 Grandma. Trump. He's like a little baby. The Grandma shark. There's Grandma Trump. Yeah. There you go. Clever. Clever. Unbelievable. Now. So, one development worth watching. Pretty, pretty Gavin Newsom, who is the brand new Gumber governor of California. He's going to be a presidential candidate someday. He's clearly running for president. He is positioning himself as a governor, a state governor, as being anti-Trump. Tough call for him. You know, man, your time can pass so quickly. And uh... Right, he's a brand new governor. I guarantee his plan. I should ask Lonnie Chen this. Well, we'll ask him next time. If a Democrat wins, he's out for eight years, though. Possibly. Uh, quite possibly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I suspect rather strongly his position is, I'm just going to wait and see. I'm going to see what develops. And if there's no clear front runner, he, as a handsome, progressive governor of a gigantic state. Who's been battling Trump on the national stage. Right. Every, from the moment of his inauguration, his inauguration speech, my friends, in California, was like he was running for president against Trump. It was amazing how many times he referenced Trump. Um, and so he's obviously going to wait, and if there's no clear front runner, he's going to allow himself to be drafted semi-unwillingly. I'd, I, I promise the people in California, but if I have, must, if I must save the country, I shall. So that's his plan. And if that moment doesn't arise, he's just going to keep his fingers crossed that he gets a chance in 2024. But anyway, so he just announced this big initiative in, in Cal Unicornia, 
um, so-called because realism has vanished from California politics. The only thing that matters is what sounds good and, and gives people the most. He's announced a plan to have six months of family leave, required family leave. If you got a sick uh, a parent, for instance, or a, or, or a new baby, six months leave. And I, six months. And I um, I brought this up briefly. What is it? What is it currently? I don't know. Probably ought to know that. It's like a, a month or something. I, I think know. it's a month. In uh, Cal Unicornia. But six months, you'd have to hire another person to take that job. Right. For well, for at least a, a, a temp or something. Right. Here it is. Announced this month he would make six months of paid leave, uh, parental leave, to be split between two parents. Well, so you like alternate months. I'd like that. Judy, you okay. work for a month, then I'll work for a month. Then I'll take another month off. But anyway, so many of these laws, and I don't say this as, as like a mean guy. It's as a realist. You're wearing a yeah. pink shirt. That's very softening. Right. Thank you. Um, you have to be a realist. Human beings react to the environment around them. And if you make it so expensive, because it's mostly going to be women taking the bulk of this time for the baby thing, primarily. Sure. Um, and I loved spending time with our kids when they were babies, newborns, and I valued it. But I also kept working. Anyway, um. You have made it so expensive to employ a woman who might have a baby that employers will try not to. But that's discrimination. It says in the law you can't. Seriously, are you so either naive, dumb, or young that you don't understand the minute a regulation is written, people find ways around it? Current law is up to 12 weeks, it looks like. Okay. But so if you got a man and a woman up for a position, and they're roughly equal, and she's like, just got married and she's 25. Right. From an economic point of view, yeah. you'd be a fool to hire the woman. What's if they were equal, you know, workers. What's coming at your news, Marshall? Pelosi positions progressives for attacks on the administration. State of the State of the Union and Alec Baldwin in court again. Alec Baldwin in court. Do you punch somebody else, or is this from the last punching? It's always punching. Can't keep track of all the punchings. Yeah. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. learn from TV commercials. I am not inviting Matthew McConaughey over to my house to stare weirdly at my pool table oh, with man. a lost expression on his face. And freak you out, wouldn't it? I hey, think, how are you over there, man? Dude, you okay? What's up? Honey, put mm. away the knives and firearms. He just keeps staring into the distance. <laughs> <laughs> you seen the poster for his new movie that I'm not sure if it's a piece of fiction or a documentary about him? No, I have not. Called Beach Bum. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So they just followed him around with the yeah. camera for a while. <laughs> and and one final thought, if I might, on the whole unintended consequences, six months of family leave thing, leave thing. A lot of people on the left will point out that we're the only industrialized country that doesn't have similar policies, and you know, and there's a lot of truth to that. But yeah, just have to understand you. What is going to be the effect of it? Just because it makes you feel good, or you think it being, I would prefer a world in which parents could stay home for six months with their new baby. Absolutely. I would prefer that. That will fundamentally... It breaks my heart when I hear that when you're when somebody's not. Right. But that will fundamentally change the nature of the American economy. And will, it'll become a lot more like a French economy or a Greek economy. And you might not like that at all. Just So just avoid the pitfall of thinking, if I change one thing, 
it only changes one thing. Because that is never the case. It changes lots of things. I'll just stare weirdly at this pool table. Hey, Matt, are you all right, dude? <laughs> Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Democratic House leaders making a point with appointments. Freshman uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and two other progressive Democrats have been named to the House Oversight Committee. They have and AOC is actually on the financial services, yep. too, in which she'll be taking a run at banks. You need to understand what a big deal this is. When you're a 29-year-old, you've been uh, in government for three weeks, you don't get on one of the most powerful committees that exists in Washington, right. D.C. No you, way. You end up on a committee you've never even heard of doing just boring mule work yeah. to no one's satisfaction <laughs> until you gain enough favor to work your way up the ladder right. over many years, if not decades, to get onto the good committees. So the fact that AOC and the other woman that uh, said impeach the MFR are both on the committee, Elijah Cummings put him on there, or Nancy put him on right. there, because they went along with her for the leadership. I don't know how it played out, but... Th- so they're going to drag Cohen in here in a couple of weeks, right? and you're going to have AOC actually questioning Cohen in a major news story. That doesn't happen with freshman congresspeople. Nope. Heck of a move. Nancy Pelosi releasing a statement after these announcements saying, quote, we are thrilled that these outstanding members will join these critical committees where their fresh vision and powerful voices will be critical as Democrats deliver our ambitious agenda. What we'll know is fairly early was part of the deal. Look, we'll put you on these committees that freshmen never get on, but you can't be howling about a impeachment. Every day, all day to the news media. We're trying to undermine me. Yeah. Because I'll take you down, child. President Trump will and be... She jumped on her broom and rode away. <gasps> President Trump will deliver his State of the Union address one way or another on January 29th. That is according to Press Secretary Sarah Sanders. Okay. Who- who was asked today about reports the White House is working on a so-called Plan B. The president should be able to address the American people, whether he does that from the halls of Congress or whether he does that in another location. The president will talk to the American people on January 29th. We're going to continue moving forward with the State of the Union, and we'll see what happens. There you go. See what happens. Die right then. Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi asked Trump to postpone the speech until after the partial government shutdown is over. It's still not clear whether Pelosi will allow the president to deliver his speech in the House. Using the reasoning, which has since disappeared, that it was a security problem. Oh, that was completely fake. That was a lie from go. All kinds of people from all kinds of different directions pointed out how fake that was. And now that excuse is just gone. Right. And now it's just, we don't want you to speak. I guess. And, and nobody's really talking about it. And listen, I'll concede, occasionally Donald J. has said things that cannot be factually verified. So it's a, we're in a weird time of political rhetoric right now. Los Angeles school teachers getting uh, back to work today. They uh, worked out a tentative contract agreement with the district. The uh, teachers have been on strike now for six days. The tentative deal includes a 6% pay hike and a commitment to reduce class sizes over four years. But not all the teachers are all that happy. It's not a great contract, in my opinion. It feels like after six days, it was just been a huge sacrifice for us. Uh, here's your punchline. Uh, I heard a long, wonky feature on this earlier. And the question was asked, how is the L.A. school district going to pay for the raise and the benefits and the additional personnel right. and the rest of it. And the answer was, uh, they're going to have to get creative. Um, they don't have the money. There isn't the right. money. 
So they're going to have to, you know, hit the people with higher taxes or, or borrow it. Or I don't think the L.A. school district can print money like the federal government, so they won't be doing that. Actor Alec Baldwin pleading guilty in his parking assault case in Manhattan. He had a court appearance this morning. The 60-year-old actor took a plea deal on a second-degree harassment violation. If I remember correctly, I was on Alec Baldwin's side on this. Alex Baldwin. He was backing into a spot to parallel park, and yeah. somebody tried to sneak in behind him, or did sneak in behind him. I'm on his side. Oh, yeah? That deserves a punching. Fists are going to fly. Oh, yeah. Well, he got fined over $100, got to complete an anger management over course. Over $100? Yes. Baldwin. <laughs> Alec Baldwin got fined $100. Baldwin admitted to, <laughs> push, to pushing a man, not punching a man, okay. pushing a man over a parking spot in November. You can't sneak in behind somebody when they're parallel parking. That's not cool. Absolutely. You can if you want to be $100 richer. (laughs) I don't think he gets the fine. Oh, that's not how it works? No. No. All right. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The conscience of the nation. Good point from a texter. What about the discontent this is going to cause inside the Democratic Party? The people that were passed over, that were in line for these sorts of committees. Right. And now the young upstarts get it. They're not going to be happy. You should have been hotter. Okay, they can go be sad then. Yeah, go be old and sad. That's fine. Should have been better looking. Go find a corner to be old and sad in. (laughs) Prominent American city trying to ban various items at protests, including baseball bats, mace, glass bottles, lanterns, etc. What caused the need for this? Also, we're going to talk to Jenna Johnson of the Washington Post. About what's going on in the uh, the big city over there on the east coast? It's got uh, it's got the big white buildings. What do you call it? Uh, Washington D.C. I'm following you. Uh, and more importantly, the shift in Democratic voters from sea to shining sea. What do you mean? Yep. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. played a clip of Mitch McConnell or Nancy Pelosi or somebody droning on about the shutdown, but you all know what they're saying. <laughs> well, yeah, not only that, but uh, according to David Weigel and Jenna Johnston, Johnson of the uh, Washington Post, the the old-timey centrists are less and less relevant, especially in the uh, Democratic Party. Jenna Johnson joins us now from Washington, D.C., national political correspondent covering campaigns and voters for the WAPO. Hi, uh, Jenna. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. I absolutely love the lead paragraph of your story. Um, do you have, do you have it in front of you, or can I read it, or, or do you just want to characterize it? You know what? Go ahead. I'll, okay. I'll pull it up while you're doing that. All right. Uh, full credit. Uh, Jenna's work. <laughs> the last time Democrats scouted for presidential nominee who could strip the White House from Republicans, the party supported additional fencing along the U.S.-Mexico border. Same-sex marriage was illegal in 49 states, and few Democratic candidates were pushing to change that. And only one long-shot presidential hopeful talked about Medicare for all. That was a dozen years ago, Jenna. A lot has changed. 
Yeah, it sure has. Um, Dave and I were headed out to Iowa this weekend uh, to follow around the candidates and, and to talk with voters. And we were kind of thinking back to uh, when Barack Obama was first going to Iowa and uh, the things that he would talk about and the things that he was very careful in, in talking about when he would bring up immigration. He would first talk about border security and uh, E-Verify and employers and then would come in with the thing he really wanted to pitch, which was amnesty for millions of undocumented immigrants. A lot of that caution is just gone now. Um, you know, when you look at a lot of the 2020 candidates who've already come out and some of them who are thinking about getting into the race, um, you know, it's, it's a much more liberal platform uh, than we saw 12 years ago. Well, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton at that time ran on marriages between a man and a woman, but the country has changed since then. You can see it in the polls. So I understand that the candidates are different, but I'm not sure that's true for the immigration stuff, that the country has changed along with the candidates. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of the Democrats that we were talking with in Iowa say that they just understand immigration a lot better now, whereas it might have been something that, um, you know, they had feelings on, but they didn't really deeply know about it. I mean, voters know a lot about immigration now. There's been so much attention to what's going on at the border. There's been so much attention to um, families being separated, the asylum process. I mean, I'm guessing a lot of Americans didn't really know about the asylum process until recently. There's a lot more knowledge out there. And the people that we were talking with were saying, you know, now that I know more about this, you know, I've, I've changed my stance a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, it, it could be suggested that it's become impossible to dissent, especially on the left, um, from certain orthodoxies. You know what I'm driving at? I mean, sure. I, in, for instance, in your, your more liberal enclaves, you don't dare breathe at a cocktail party that, listen, we got to secure the border first. I mean, otherwise, there's enormous social pressure. Well, and I think a lot of these candidates are going to see that poll that came out yesterday in which 70-some percent of Democrats said they would support AOC if she could run. So, yeah, wow, interesting. that's going to influence people, isn't it, Jenna? Yeah, and I mean, another thing to keep in mind is that our country has become much more divided, and it has become much more partisan. I hadn't noticed, so, really. You, I don't know if you guys have heard about this It must have been before, on page but, uh, A16 or something. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, people are... You know, they're tight. You know, maybe for years they were like, well, I'm not crazy about that idea, but you got to give a little bit to get a little bit. You know, the people are, are done compromising in a lot of ways, and, and they want to see what they want to see happen. happen. Mm-hmm. And on that theme, I heard some interesting stuff. I think it was uh, 538.com was writing the other day about how important activists are in primaries, and, and which is why you often get. Uh, you know, candidates that then struggle in the general election. How how important are your uh, leftist uh, lefties and righties, rightist righties in a place like Iowa? Oh, very, very important. Um, I mean, those are the people who are kind of vetting candidates for the first time. And, I mean, on the left, we've seen a huge activist movement. We've seen, you know, the day after President Trump came into office, the Women's March, um, you know, indivisible groups popping up all over the country. Um, you know, among liberals, among Democrats, there's been a big burst in people wanting to do something. And those are the people who are going to be evaluating, evaluating these candidates 
deciding who they like and, you know, tacking them up at the bus stop or tacking them up at work or knocking doors and, and promoting them. Um, you know, so activists in these early states um, are very key. And I think that's perhaps another reason why we see these candidates, you know, with um, very liberal positions um, to appeal to those people. Yeah, I just wondered, since you're in the loop, have you heard any rumblings? The story broke last night that on the uh, the House Oversight Committee, you got AOC and some other you know, some of the, the firebrands you just have been talking about Talib, right? um, on the committee. Was that a deal that, that Nancy made with with uh, Ms. Cortez to you support me to be House Speaker and you get on a real committee even as a freshman? You know what? You guys have just taken me out of my uh, comfort zone. Out I, just, of I just wonder I if you heard any rumblings. <laughs> I haven't been covering the Hill. Yeah, I've been I, I get you. out in Iowa talking with voters, so... I, I have no idea how, how no to problem. answer that one. No problem. What a refreshing thing to say. I don't know. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the right answer. What that's do you think right of that, uh, that terrible call against the Saints in the uh, <laughs> NFC Championship game? You see that? Okay, well, on that one. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Uh, injustice. Jenna Johnson uh, writes for the Washington Post covering national political uh, stories, campaigns, voters, and that sort of thing. Jenna, great to talk to you. Thanks for the time. Hey, thanks so much. Take care. Our pleasure. Well done. I thought her and her crowd might be buzzing about that, but she's in Iowa, so she's got other things to do. Right. Yeah, that's not her angle. But, you know, the the main point of the story that the left electorate has gone way left is so true. And, and where that the, ends. But did the country. Because like I said, right. on, the, on the gay marriage thing, the country went along with them. That is the popular position. Right. right. I'm not sure it is on the other stuff. I would say, and that was the reason I asked her about how important activists are, particularly in primaries and early states, and also being paid attention to by the media, their influence is way outsized. There are a hell of a lot of people in middle America who swing Democrat. Maybe they're farm Democrats. Maybe they're just, you know, left to center people who would like a little more government activism and a little more. But some of this stuff is freaking them out. But you're never going to hear from them. They're not nearly an exciting enough interview. How did times change so fast that Barack Obama would not have a chance of getting the nomination if he ran with the same? uh... (laughs) He's too conservative. Yeah. We couldn't be talking about cracking down on legal immigration and marriages between a man and a woman. No way. Right, right. Now, and he wouldn't run with those ideas no, now. But no. it's just the idea that you can't trans, you can't, you couldn't go on a time machine that many years, right, and still get the nomination as one of the greatest politicians in in the history. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. wild that things change that fast. They didn't used to change that fast. Oh, hold, that's right. Hold that's on, right. That's hold right. on tight. I forgot, I forgot what time it was. It's the con- um, it's a constant now. Um, this sort of whipsaw change. But they, I, just from my reading of history, these sorts of changes used to happen over like fifty years. Right. These sort of changes in attitudes. Oh, yeah. And ask anybody uh, in an industry that just disappeared what they think of the pace of change. It's going to be really interesting. And, you know, there's part of me that wants to live for another hundred years to see it all. And there's part of me that wants to melt into the woods and never be heard from again because human beings are not made to live in the world that we have right now. We've spent, you know, millennia becoming the beast that we are. And the beast that we are is not built for constant input, for one thing. You know, the social media, um, lack of connectedness with human beings, whipsaw change, as I, I put it before. Just the world's completely different in 10 years. You're What you're supposed to believe to your core. What, what You believe that to your core 10 years ago? You're a fascist and a Nazi or whatever. I completely forget who I originally heard this quote from, but for the first Abraham Lincoln. thousands of years, 
the major problems for humans was not enough calories, not enough information. Right. For the past 50, the major problem has been too many calories, too much information. Sure. And I would say for the last 20, the too much information thing has gone from, uh, a, a, you know, an interesting contrast to, you know, the, the, people the brain like to, can't handle it. Well, right. Exactly. People like to use the metaphor we're drinking from a fire hose right now. I, have you ever sprayed a fire hose or seen one up close, <laughs> if you try to drink from it, it will kill you. Rip your face off. Or at the very least, yeah, knock your teeth out and knock you flying backward. And so I think that metaphor is even more apt than people understood. I think it's incredibly unhealthy. Look, and again, I'm going to go dark on you. I'm sorry. This is why I'm such a buzzkill. I don't get invited to many parties. If you look at the teen suicide rate, particularly among young girls, it's... Over-stimulation, over-input, particularly the savagery of, of the Internet and social media. I mean, it is literally killing the animal. We were talking, uh, um, so uh, Sam got his Valentine's Day cards at Target. A little early. Mm-hmm. Get ready for that. What grade? Third. Third. And my wife was talking about how she dreaded she Every year she'd think, oh, my God, it's Valentine's Day. Didn't we just do this a couple of weeks ago? Uh, she she hated it. Yeah. And because it was, you know, the popularity contest of who got, you know, the most cards or, you know, you got four and that girl got 20 and just, you know, just laying bare. Or the unspeakably cruel skunk Valentine. Yeah. Well, that that sort of thing, if you're old enough to remember it, that's that's what daily life is now with social media. Mm-hmm. The constant wow, judging well and, and being judged and knowing exactly what everybody thinks of you. Right. And, the and you know, it's funny. It, it didn't dawn on me at the time, but we talked to, through the years on the Armstrong and Getty Show, some of the, like, super popular girls in particular in high school who talked about living in constant fear that their status would go away. Yeah, they I were was, miserable the I didn't whole know time. that. I'd have been happier oh. if I'd have known they, the, the popular people were miserable. So other people's misery <laughs> makes you happy. Is well, that what you're saying? Yeah, yes. Is that what you've admitted it's to a, us here today? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's sick. <laughs> the Germans have a word for that, you know. I was a, I, I had no concern about losing my unpopular status. I, I, I felt I had a pretty solid hold on. <laughs> you were confident <laughs> in your lack of popularity. That's but yeah, but so now that sort of thing is laid bare on a moment-by-moment basis. So yeah, no wonder people are miserable. That ain't healthy. No, it's not. It can't continue. I am going to open a giant commune for kids who have had enough of the modern world. We're going to canoe. We're going to, you know. Those always go well. We're going to build crafts. Sort of thing. It's going to be an endless summer camp, and we'll have school. You going to have uniforms? Yeah, it depends. Voluntary. They're going to have to. No, settle down. Settle down. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.